Okay. Get my shit together here. Alright. It's a wicked hot Saturday morning in August, and I'm meeting up with my friends, Kate Butt, who you may remember from The Secret Life of Death, Episodes 6 and 7, as a stalwart cemetery explorer. Wow. That's amazing. I don't think I've ever seen a sound like that, ever. And her partner, Kelly Michelson. Morning! And after delays due to weather, scheduling, and COVID, we're finally going on a long-awaited cemetery road trip. Oh, and with... Oh my goodness. Their little Boston Terrier, River. Hello, little lady. Will you want to come for a trip with us? Like most people in the summer of 2021, Kate and Kelly and River have made a few tentative forays into vacations. And, like most people, found they were a little out of practice participating in the outside world and might have overdone dragging her around on vacation we like actually broke the dog she just got like so overstimulated with oh. everything like an overtired child we took her to a dog beach one morning and there were just like dogs we broke her and then after that we went and had lunch at this little like outdoor seafood shack kind of thing on a pier you know so we were sitting outside and she wanted to meet everyone because everybody was excited about her and they brought her this bucket of ice water and she was like fascinated with it but she literally couldn't keep herself upright well luckily everybody today we're meeting is dead so that should be a little jinkies Leave it to me to bring down a room. Today, Kate, Kelly, River, and I are going on an adventure. We're driving a few hours to the Waybridge Hill Cemetery in Waybridge, Vermont, a small agricultural town in the western region of northern Vermont. Road trip! trip. Yay, guys! It's happening. I brought the book. Oh, awesome, awesome. The book to which Kelly is referring is the 2014 work by Rachel Hope Cleves titled Charity and Sylvia, Same-Sex Marriage in Early America. And that's whose grave sites we're going to visit. Those of Charity Bryant and Sylvia Drake. (laughs) Last night I was like... I should bring the book. And I was like, I'm going to put it in my bag right now because I know I'm going to forget that shit in the morning. Charity and Sylvia were an out couple who lived together and were considered married by their families and within their rural community of Weybridge for over 40 years, which on its own is pretty special. But when you find out that those 40 years were between 1809 and 1851, well... It's enough to outright blow your mind. Of course, I did some snooping around ahead of time after I finished the book, and I think not the house that they lived in. I don't think that's still there, but the house that... um, The brother, right? Yes, that is still there, so we could probably drive by that house. Um, It's not that far. There's so much about Charity and Sylvia's life story that's just amazing. Made all the more so by how their family honored them and their relationship 
in life and in death. And that's why we're going to the Waybridge Hill Cemetery. These days, it's not often you get to stand in the presence of such respect, kindness, and love. And we're excited. Oh, yeah. Historic Lesbian Road Trip! <laughs> Yay! On three! I'm Gail Golick, and this is The Secret Life of Death, Episode 8 Teaser, Charity and Sylvia. Through the magic of podcastery, it's now two and a half hours later, and we're in the Weybridge Hill Cemetery. I love a cemetery. It's so beautiful. Look at this. That's amazing. Gorgeous. As you can tell from our odd comments, this is an absolutely lovely spot. The cemetery is situated in the very small village of Weybridge, which sits on a slight hill overlooking the Otter Creek, with open, rolling fields as far as the eye can see. Waybridge Village is at a crossroads, literally where several roads intersect one another, exactly where a village should be. It consists of half a dozen historic homes around the village common, a primary school, a Congregationalist church, a large dairy operation, and a cemetery. Look at this line of um, trees, like how lined up there. They're like... It's perfect. Wow. Huge old maples. Huge. They're beautiful. We're not 100% sure where Charity and Sylvia's graves are, but with some help from Rachel Cleave's book, and knowing their grave sites are likely in the older section of the cemetery, we set off looking. So, let's see, we can... Shall we take a tour? Which way should we go? Looks like, it looks like some of the older ones might be up that way. Okay, let's go, let's do it. Luckily, this cemetery is pretty small, so it doesn't take us long. Jedediah Dodge. Oh, is that it? That sort of curvy... And it's not just Charity and Sylvia's graves we find. They're buried in the Drake family plot. Sylvia's mother, brothers, sister, in-laws, nieces, nephews, cousins, and the entire extended family is memorialized with a 12-foot marble obelisk listing all the names of the Drake family. And the fact that Sylvia and her partner Charity are buried here too, is quite special. But that's not all. Yeah, because there's their stone is very different from it's everybody else. Very different. Oh, 
That's so sweet that they have a stone with both their names together. Isn't that <laughs> Like how fucking cool it's is that? So fucking cool. It's like, man. Bucking convention yet again. Not only did the Drakes have Sylvia's partner buried in their family plot, they honored the women and their relationship by having them buried side by side and memorialized them with one gravestone with both women's names on it. But that's not all either. Um, so the headstone is... It's very ornate um, in comparison to the other ones around it. It has like a, it's like a, an oval shape where the writing is, and then it has, um, what are those called? Scroll. Yeah, like almost like a scroll on the bottom of each side of the oval. It's marble, and uh, inside of the oval, in in relief letters it says sylvia daughter of thomas drake died february 13th or is that an eight 13th 1868 at age 88 and then there is a small line separating the next name that says charity daughter of philip bryant md she died october 5th 1851 at age 74 well, and that it's, like, the most, like... Ornate. I hate to say... Ornate. I was going to say, I hate to say, like, expensive, but that's one thing that they talked about. Like, at the time, like, it was a lot more expensive and complicated to do the names in relief like that as opposed to, like, just carving them out. Like, and they're the only ones in the family that have that. Yeah. And they're here with the whole family. With the whole family. The whole they're family. not shunned somewhere else or... It's so special. I'm feeling a little emotional. So, who were Charity Bryant and Sylvia Drake? And how was it that they, an open same-sex couple living in early 1800s rural Vermont, came to be? Well, let's find out, shall we? Charity Bryant was born in 1777 in North Bridgewater, Massachusetts, the youngest of the ten children of Silence and Philip Bryant, M.D. Silence died shortly after Charity's birth, leaving the infant to be cared for and raised by nannies, older siblings, and, once her father remarried, her stepmother. Being the youngest of a large family, and motherless to boot, Charity was somewhat indulged by many in her family. She wasn't pushed into marriage right away, but was allowed to pursue an education, and even forego some of the domestic responsibilities expected of a woman in the upper middle class. Charity had always had a strong sense of self, a notion aided and abetted by the fact that she came of age during the country's post-revolution Jeffersonian Age of Reason, which afforded her with social and economic liberties and freedoms scarcely imagined by previous generations of women. But if Charity was to remain unmarried, 
at least for the time being, she did have to be useful and earn her keep. She was among the first wave of women allowed to work outside the home and earn their own money, which she did teaching primary school in towns around the region. It's during her time as a traveling school teacher that Charity began developing very close and intimate relationships with some of her fellow female school teachers. But at this time, very close, intimate, same-sex relationships were not an uncommon thing in American society. Love, companionship, and intimacy had different connotations at the turn of the 19th century. Where today, we expect to find romantic love, companionship, sexual compatibility, and deep personal, emotional, and even spiritual connection in a single person, a partner, or a spouse, 200 years ago, expectations were very different. Marriages were more of a business arrangement in many ways. People came together legally and before God for the purposes of property rights and inheritance, aka making more people to propagate and secure their lineage. It was a nice side benefit if you liked and even loved your spouse, even more so if you had romantic feelings for them. But it wasn't expected or necessary. Those other aspects of life were often fulfilled by same-sex friendships, deep connections to siblings or children, and, yes, outside sexual partners. Although that was mostly acceptable for just the men. And having romantic feelings for same-sex friends often just meant that you had a very close, personal, confidant-type relationship with them. They weren't necessarily sexual. But they could be. And this was especially true of close friendships for young men and women prior to marriage. In fact, it was rather expected that young people would have romantic feelings towards same-sex friends that strayed into the sexual. And they were even allowed to act on them. As long as people were discreet and as long as that aspect of the relationship was over and done with once they settled down into a traditional marriage. And this is where Charity Bryant got herself into trouble, so to speak. When it came to her same-sex romantic and sexual relationships, she wasn't always so discreet as she might have been. And as time went on, it didn't appear she had any intention of leaving all of that behind and settling down into a traditional marriage. Charity was a prolific and talented writer and proclaimed her feelings for a number of other women through her poetry and letters, leaving a written record of her feelings and some oblique and not so oblique references to her inclinations, desires, and activities. As Charity approached 30 years old, she was still unmarried. And the rumors about her inclinations, that had been whispers when she was younger, became much louder and dogged her from town to town as she moved around for teaching work. Though there were still many in her life who loved her and wanted to support her, her reputation soon made staying in Massachusetts near impossible. 
So in 1807, Charity decided to travel a little farther afield from Massachusetts, and all the gossip, to Weybridge, Vermont, to pay a visit to an old friend, Polly Hayward, nay, Drake. Like Charity, Polly was born in a town just south of Boston. And, like Charity, Polly had once been a schoolteacher, which is how they first met years before. Polly's family, the Drakes, had fallen on hard times in their native Easton, Massachusetts, and at the turn of the century, took the opportunity to start over in a fledgling community in a far-flung corner of Vermont. Polly's older brother, Asaph, was the first to establish himself in Weybridge, eventually bringing with him his mother, a number of his adult siblings and their families, as well as their youngest sister, Sylvia. Sylvia Drake was born in 1786, and, like Charity, was also the youngest child in a large family. And also, like Charity, Sylvia seemed more interested in her own education than in her marriage prospects. Wink, wink. Her father had died years before, back in Easton, Massachusetts. And with all of her older siblings already married off and living in their own households, she and her widowed mother were in the precarious position of relying on the goodwill of their extended family for their care. They bounced between households for years before ending up in Weybridge. And Weybridge is where Charity and Sylvia met. It wasn't long before the two women were inseparable. They shared interests in poetry, they talked, went for walks, and generally enjoyed one another's company. And in so many other ways, Sylvia, 21, and Charity, 30, neither having had much interest pursuing or being pursued by bows, seemed like kindred spirits. Soon, it was arranged that Charity would move to Weybridge permanently, and the two traveled together to Charity's parents' house in Massachusetts to collect her things. While this relationship might have initially raised a few eyebrows in Weybridge, it was perhaps not such a huge surprise to some in the Drake family. Polly Hayward was close to her sister Sylvia and knew Charity very well. Polly was well aware of Charity's reputation for developing strong relationships with other women. But Polly clearly didn't care what people said about her old friend she had a lot of respect for Charity, and she valued her opinion. When Polly's twins, Emma and Edwin, were born, she asked Charity not only to name them, but to be their godmother. And at the turn of the 19th century, the realities of life in the back hills of Weybridge, Vermont, was a very different world from that of the older, more established towns in the region. These remote areas were just beginning to be settled by Euro-Americans. And so, the entrenched rules of society and culture that existed in, say, southern New England, sometimes took a back seat to the practicalities of survival and necessity out in the isolated countryside. 
And so, it's against that backdrop that Charity and Sylvia's relationship took hold and was allowed to flourish. By 1811, the women had set themselves up in their own household, which is amazing and important, because up until this point in history, women were not allowed to legally own their own property or inherit. Adding to their list of groundbreaking firsts, the women started a business to support themselves. Charity was a trained tailor, and Sylvia a skilled seamstress. And in a time before commercially made clothing was widely available and affordable to most people, these skills made them indispensable to their community. They also took it upon themselves to train many young ladies in tailoring, passing on the knowledge of a useful skill set and its financial independence to other women. They took in countless nieces and nephews over the years, made clothing for them, even paid for some to go on to higher education. And they were important and high-ranking members in their local church, and taught Sunday school there for years. Charity and Sylvia's lifestyle, and all that it implied, was an open secret within Weybridge, but likely not something spoken of openly, if you know what I mean. And though they were never allowed to be legally joined, they, and those who knew them, considered them not just to be a couple, but married, even referring to Charity as a husband and Sylvia as a wife. What I love most about the story of Charity and Sylvia is that these two women took up space, period. Their community came to appreciate that they functioned most effectively as a couple. And if their arrangement was unorthodox, well, so what? As long as Charity and Sylvia were allowed to just be, their relationship benefited everyone. It's just cool to think that, like, here was this couple in this time when it wasn't really talked about, you know, and it was more, like, ignored, and that they have this special stone with their family. Like, that's such a beautiful thing. Yeah, and how hard is that? <laughs> right? It's, it's hard now. <laughs> just do something decent for people you love. Seriously, it's just, like, I think that's the thing that's, like, kind of weird to feel emotional for someone else like that's what you do as a decent human being (laughs) you accept people for who they are as our afternoon in Weybridge winds down we try to find a way to wrap up this moment and pay our respects they're like the only headstone that I can see where there's like something left on it too like somebody left them a stone like we're not the only people that have visited them recently kind of wish we'd brought them flowers I wish I had a stone. I would put it on the thing and I have to go look for one. It's hard not to be a little sentimental. I get to spend this day immersed in LGBTQ plus history, visiting one historic badass couple with a modern badass couple and their dog. What would Charity and Sylvia think of all of this, I wonder? Oh, what a lovely day. So special. 
Thanks, ladies. <laughs> You're cute. Why? Because I said so. <laughs> like more information on the lives of Charity Bryant and Sylvia Drake, read Rachel Cleave's book, Charity and Sylvia, Same-Sex Marriage and Early America. I can't recommend it highly enough. Also, this teaser show was an offshoot of the long-awaited, long-suffering, The Secret Life of Death podcast project, the Episode 8 Identity Series, about Andrew Zinn, the first gay bar and hotel in Vermont in the 1970s and 80s, which is slated to come out this fall. I feature the story of Charity and Sylvia in that series, along with more information about the couple. So please, remember to check that out in the near future. Special thanks for this episode go to Kate Butt and Kelly Michelson. Transcripts of every episode are available on our website, thesecretlifeofdeath.com. Music provided with permission by Epidemic Sound. For more information about this podcast, weekly posts, and fun extras, find us on Instagram and Facebook at The Secret Life of Death Podcast and on Twitter at TSLOD Podcast. You can download our show from our website or find us on any podcast platform. Please subscribe and remember to rate the show. It really helps. <laughs> <laughs>